Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. All right, Lisa, what's this uh, this noisy cat you have? What's its name? My cat's name is Lyra. Lyra. All right, here's the deal. Um, tell Lyra if she interrupts us and starts making a bunch of noise, she can just host the show. And we'll, we'll change the name to Politico Disc Cat. <laughs> See how she likes that. She would love that. <laughs> I might be out of job. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch for now. And today... Mayors across the country are stepping down kind of en masse after this year of an unprecedented confluence of crises. Lisa Kaczynski on why mayors across the country are calling it quits. Uh, Are we excited to welcome our first female mayor in nearly 100 years? Thank you all for joining us today here. So Jenny Durkin is the mayor of Seattle, Washington. I am so honored and I am so proud to be able to serve the people of the city of Seattle. Uh, She, you know, has kind of always been in political circles. She's the daughter of one of Washington's most powerful political players. He was a big lobbyist. Please know that she comes to the office of mayor well-equipped to face the challenges of this city that sit on her doorstep on her very first day of office. But she is a major political player in her own right. She was a former U.S. attorney. Today we're delighted to welcome our new United States attorney for the Western District of Washington, Jenny Durkin. Jenny, welcome. Dan, it's great to be here. So have you got to use that line, I'm from the federal government and I'm here to help you? I'm here to help, Dan. Oh, very good. Well, you can help Hi, me. I'm Jenny Durkin. I'm running for mayor because I love Seattle. I was born here. And my partner and so I she ran and became the mayor of Seattle. And, uh, you know, in her first term, about two plus years in, she was starting to lay the groundwork for re-election. We need more housing for our low-income neighbors or people experiencing homelessness. We also need more affordable housing for middle-income Seattleites. When COVID hit. An 11th person in the United States has died from the coronavirus. Ten of those deaths have been in Washington state. And tomorrow, Vice President Pence heads to Washington. Washington state was hit first and hit hard. And, you know, there was no playbook. There wasn't a lot of help from the feds, Mm. as Jenny told me. And, you know, she described it as feeling like it was running an Iron Man at a sprint. Madam Mayor, it's good to have you with us. Thanks for your time today on what must be an unbelievably busy week. It is an incredibly busy time here, and I want to thank you for having us on. I want to take the opportunity when I can to thank the frontline health care workers and first responders. And as she put it, you know, eventually when you're making these tough decisions, it became really clear to her that she could either do the job that she had been elected to do, or she could run to keep her job, but she couldn't do both. So I've decided that I will not seek a second term. You know, 2020 has just been a brutal year, but we have some really tough months ahead of us. We still have to fight COVID. We've got to deliver a vaccine. And we're gonna have the really hard job of rebuilding our economy, our downtown, and continuing all the work on equity. And so she, after, you know, 10 months of of a pandemic, after an unexpected summer of protests over police brutality and calls for reform um, that in Seattle in particular grew pretty contentious, um, you know, she decided not to seek a second term. So you're reporting that Durkin 
is just one in a kind of shockingly broad trend we're seeing across the country. Where else are mayors deciding enough is enough? We're seeing this all over the country. This has been my highest honor to serve as mayor of this city. Uh, You have Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, who kind of expressed similar sentiments when she decided just last month, um, somewhat surprisingly to the Democratic political class, that she wasn't going to seek re-election in Atlanta. I can be mayor again, but there is a reason that there are elections every four years. And in the same way, the people have the opportunity to make a decision every four years. Candidates also have the opportunity uh, to make a decision. We have nearly a fifth of the mayors in the state of Massachusetts who have decided, for various reasons, but COVID is a common thread among them, not to seek another term. I talked to the mayor of, um, now the former mayor, actually, uh, as of Tuesday night, of Fort Worth uh, in Texas, um, Betsy Price. And we talked to the mayor of Topeka, Kansas. Um, So, yeah, we're really seeing this all over the country. This whole past year has been weird and hard and different and just a lot for everybody, not just mayors. But it is kind of amazing, you know, hearing what some of these leaders have said to you to think about how being in public office like this, being in charge of a city, it's where everything over the past year, COVID, economic collapse, protests, culture wars, it all collides what did you learn from your conversations, not just about, you know, why these mayors are, are leaving office, but about how this past year has affected them personally? Yeah, I think the number one thing to remember and what was told to me time and time again is that mayors are people, too. Mm. They're city figureheads, of course. You know, they're leaders. They're, um, their names are everywhere in cities. They're the public face of of wherever you live. But they're people. And at the end of the day, they felt this pandemic very personally, um, you know, emotionally and even physically in some cases, just the exhaustion, the fatigue, the sadness, um, as Keisha Lance Bottoms put it. It really affected them. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked to some former mayors for this story, too, who are still very much in touch with um, their, you know, their current counterparts in cities across the country. And this is unprecedented. I mean, you had in the case of the Columbus, Ohio mayor, a mayor that, you know, had served for 16 years, who had steered his city through, you know, the financial, you know, impacts after the September 11th attacks, the 2008 economic meltdown. And here he is saying that what happened in the past year is unlike anything he's ever seen before. And this was a completely unprecedented confluence of crises for these mayors who already have what's arguably one of the toughest jobs in America. Um, you know, they already were the ones getting called when people needed <laughs> their trash picked up or their mm-hmm. potholes fixed. And and now you see them, you know, getting calls every time, you know, uh, unfortunately, another community member would die and not being able to connect with their constituents the way that they were used to doing because of the isolation of COVID. So, yeah, it was really just draining, unprecedented, unlike anything, um, you know, that anybody had ever really experienced, you know, before, at least in, in this generation. Mm. When you see a mass exodus like this of city leaders in in states across the country, how does something like that affect the political landscape? Because, I mean, you do have like years of experience and, you know, connection to a city with these people, right? Like 
How does that change things? It changes things in two ways. It changes things, you know, both for the political pipeline and landscape going up from mayors. You know, mayors who maybe were rising stars in their parties are now kind of putting a pin in their political careers maybe before they wanted to. Um, You know, realizing that's what's best for their city might not be what's best, you know, what they envisioned for their careers. Um, So you're seeing a little bit of that, but you're also seeing it um, on the other side of it of, this is kind of like a wake-up call as it was put to me by some of the mayors for the next generation of leaders to really make sure that they're in position to step up and for, you know, mayors and local leaders across the country to really begin, um, you know, mentoring and grooming and growing this next generation of leaders because probably much sooner rather than later, and you're seeing it now, they're going to be the ones who need to answer the call and step up and they, you know, they need to be ready so that there's not this brain drain, um, you know, this, this vacuum uh, in city leadership. So it's really all all sides of this, you know, kind of political pipeline. But in a lot of these cities, there are races to replace uh, these outgoing mayors that are, you know, very, um, if not historically diverse, um, you know, with with candidates of, of color and women. And in Boston, you know, for instance, while um, Mayor Marty Walsh didn't leave uh, because of COVID, he got a job <laughs> with the Biden administration as labor secretary. Yeah. There is now the most, you know, historically diverse, you know, it's, it's an entire field of candidates of color, um, including four women who are running to replace him. Lisa Kaczynski, thanks so much for talking with me. And uh, th- thanks to Lyra the Cat for, for keeping quiet. I guess I guess uh, she's going to have to wait to get her moment behind the mic. Yeah, I guess she managed <laughs> to sleep through this one, but I'll make sure she <laughs> she's awake and ready next time. Also today, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is vowing to hold a vote on repealing the 2002 Iraq War Authorization. Schumer announced his support for the measure just before the House today is expected to pass Representative Barbara Lee's bill that would repeal the law, which served as the legal basis for several military operations in Iraq. Earlier this week, President Biden also came out in support of Lee's bill, becoming the first president to approve ending the authorization. And... A new report from the Justice Department's internal watchdog says the U.S. Marshals Service doesn't have the resources it needs to keep federal judges safe. The watchdog says the agency does not have sufficient capabilities to monitor threats made on social media, and the home security system it provides for its protectees offers, quote, limited or outdated equipment. This comes as threats against federal judges are skyrocketing. The report says from 2016 to 2019, the Marshals Service saw an 89% increase in security incidents, inappropriate communications, and threats directed at the people it's supposed to protect. And according to 60 Minutes, the rate of threats directed at judges has jumped even more, by 400% in 2020. Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to subscribe to Politico Dispatch, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.